to come and give us our reading, which is uh, Daniel 2, verses 1 to 23. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive gifts from me and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live amongst humans. <clears throat> this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone to put the death to the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes of kings and rises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. This is the word of the Lord. I once read a book called Touching the Void. It's the true story of two climbers who were the first to scale uh, the west face of Suela Grande in the Peruvian Andes. And uh, on the way down from this mountain, these two climbers, they met with disaster. Uh, one of the climbers, Joe Simpson, he fell a long way down an ice cliff and he broke his leg. In fact, he'd fallen so far uh, that the climber on the other end of the rope, Simon Yates, didn't have communication with him. 
didn't know what was happening, didn't know whether uh, Joe was alive or dead. And there was absolutely nothing he could do. He just stuck on this rope with a dead weight at the other end. And in the end, he made the decision to cut the rope and he descended the mountain on his own. Amazingly, Joe survived. Uh, he, once the rope was cut, there, there wasn't that much further left to fall, uh, but he was now in an ice cave. Uh, he managed to find his way out of the ice cave and he made his way down the mountain dragging a severely broken leg behind him. He spent three nights just lying in the snow um, without shelter, exposed to the elements. Uh, It is an amazing story of endurance, determination, and survival. But as I was reading this book, there was one part of the story that disappointed me. Joe reached a conclusion that because in those days those three days out in the out in the snow, uh, he hadn't cried out to God and asked for help. He reached a conclusion that there is no God. Joe Simpson is a tough, determined, resourceful man. And because he overcame that situation, as he sees it on his own, he's decided that there is no God. And that is a danger for anyone who has a lot of resources personal resources at their disposal. It's a danger for anyone who is highly capable, intelligent, resourceful, determined, wealthy, or powerful. When people can get stuff done on their own, in their own strength, they might start to feel that they don't need God, or even that there is no God. Of course, this doesn't apply for everyone. There are plenty of highly capable, intelligent, resourceful, determined, wealthy, or powerful Christians. Uh, But it is a danger when we can get stuff done on our own. Now, Joe Simpson didn't come to the end of his resources on that mountain. Most people would have done, but he didn't. But he may well, at some point in his life, face a situation that is too big for him to handle on his own. Illness, bereavement, relationship breakdown, mental health problems, or whatever it is. And even if he never faces anything that he feels is too much for him, one thing's for sure, sooner or later, just as we all will, he will face God's judgment. And that is not something that anyone can face on their own and come away with a good outcome. At that point, we will all need Jesus. So why am I talking about Joe Simpson? Well, in today's passage, we read about someone else who had a lot of resources at his disposal, someone who could get things done in his own strength. Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of the immensely powerful Babylonian Empire. He had laid waste to cities. He had enslaved uh, whole people groups. There seemed to be no end to his power. Why would such a man need God? Well, as we've seen, King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by a dream that exposed the limitations of Babylonian wisdom, power, and influence and revealed the true wisdom and power of God. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream revealed the flaws in the system that he relied on. 
just as a, a difficult or a traumatic situation can reveal to us the flaws of our own self-reliance. At last, he could see a chink in the armor, a weakness. He had a dream which greatly troubled him, and he wanted to know what it meant. So he summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers. In other words, he summoned anyone who could possibly shed some light on this dream. And he said, I've had a troubling dream. Tell me what it means. And they said, tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And he said, no, you tell me what I dreamt, and you interpret it. And if you can't, I'm going to have you cut into pieces, and your homes will be reduced to piles of rubble. You see, the king is afraid because he begins to see the weaknesses in the system that he's relied on. And deep down, he must have suspected that all was not well because he asked the wise men, he tells them, to tell him what he's dreamt. He wants to be sure that they can do what they say they can do. He knows that if he tells them the dream, they can just make up anything. He wants to know they've got some kind of uh, supernatural or magical or incredibly wise gifts. A, a simple dream has revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar that there is a limit to his power, and it scares him. And as is so often the case with megalomaniacs, his fear manifests itself in the form of a violent rage. We see that exact situation on the world stage today. Vladimir Putin, who vastly overestimated his own power, is now coming to see that his power is limited and his position is fragile. And he's afraid. So what does he do? He lashes out. He commits atrocities by proxy. He bombs civilians and he threatens the use of the most extreme forms of violence, weapons of mass destruction. There are uncanny parallels between Nebuchadnezzar and Putin. They're just going to show that human nature hasn't changed in 2,000 years. All human beings, no matter how strong, capable, or powerful they seem or, or, or believe themselves to be, are in fact weak, vulnerable, and morally flawed. This is the human condition. But what Nebuchadnezzar asks of his wise men is a tall order. Uh, You can imagine the panic panic, uh, among them. This is crunch time. They've got to come up with the goods. And if they don't, they're going to die a horrible and agonizing death. Ironically, in their uh, panicky reply to the king, they actually stumble upon the truth, or at least part of the truth. They say, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. So they have at least recognized their own human limitations. And they acknowledge that to tell the king his dream would require supernatural knowledge and wisdom that they don't have. As far as they're concerned, only the gods could reveal such a thing. And it would seem that the... uh, Babylonian gods weren't really interested in this sort of thing because they don't even ask them. Uh, These were obviously not the sort of gods that you could turn to in times of trouble. And uh, we can understand why, because these were false gods made with human hands. They were just blocks of uh, metal and stone, completely useless. 
So the Babylonian wise men got as far as recognizing their need for divine help. Unfortunately, their gods were of no use to them whatsoever. The wisdom of the Babylonians has been exposed as man's wisdom. And these wise men have been exposed as the charlatans they were. Being exposed, found out, caught out, is a fear that plagues a great many people. A lot of people think like this. They think, if only they knew what I'm really like, they'd have a very different opinion of me. And this is, I think, particularly true of people in their jobs and their careers, or it can be. You know, a lot of people feel like they've got to where they are by some kind of fluke or accident, that somehow they've slipped through the net and they're waiting to be found out. They dread the day when someone realizes that they're not all they're cracked up to be. And that's probably how these Babylonian wise men were feeling. They were dreading being exposed as having no real power whatsoever. Incidentally, sometimes uh, people compensate for this nagging doubt with a, a kind of brash overconfidence. So, so if you meet someone who is supremely confident, maybe to the point of being overbearing, just remember that there's probably a lot more going on uh, than meets the eye. So we've got Nebuchadnezzar's fear. A dream has made him realize that he's not all-powerful, he can't do everything, and self-reliance is an illusion. And his fear has sent him into a wild rage. Uh, today, many people are afraid because deep down, uh, they know that they're not in control. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is also afraid of the dream itself. Uh, the content of the dream, and we'll come to that uh, a bit later. Uh, then we've got the, so that's uh, Nebuchadnezzar's fear. But then we've got the wise men's fear of being exposed or found out. And again, it's a fear that many people experience today, especially in the workplace. We've also noted uh, their fear of something terrible happening. They are quite understandably uh, fearful of being cut into little pieces. And again, the fear of some impending disaster is something that many people experience today. It can be absolutely debilitating. And sometimes that fear is warranted, uh, but a lot of the time we spend worrying about things that actually never even happen. But this passage oozes fear. But what is the opposite of fear? I was curious. I googled it. And it said the uh, opposite of fear is calmness or confidence. But I think there is a better word. I think the opposite of fear is faith. And faith is something that Daniel had in spades. So the showdown between King Nebuchadnezzar and his wise men ends with the king issuing a decree to put them all to death. All of them. That includes Daniel and his three friends. So the commander of the king's guard, Arioch, he goes to Daniel to put him to death. And Daniel remains calm and rational and focused and says to Arioch, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch obviously respects Daniel because he uh, engages in con conversation and he explains the situation. So Daniel is able to approach the king and ask for more time that he might interpret the dream. And the king is desperate to know what this dream means. And so he gives Daniel the chance. 
Of course, the reason Daniel asked for more time is that he knew that he couldn't tell the king the dream, and he knew he couldn't interpret it. But he knows one who can. He wants time not to do some phony magic or to uh, put off the inevitable. He wants time so that he can seek the Lord. He wants to seek the Lord. And very sensibly, he goes to his friends and he, and he gets them praying about the situation as well. And this raises an important question for us. When we're facing a difficult situation, how do we handle it? What do we do? Let's take a work situation. Let's take the closest possible parallel. Don't think any of our bosses are going to threaten to cut us into tiny pieces, but we'll get as close to it as we can. I hope not. We'll get as close to it as we can. Uh, so we're at work, and we're asked to do something that is seemingly impossible. It's beyond us. It's a tall order. Uh, what do we do? Do we run around in a panic, trying to do it in our own strength? Do we call in sick? Or resign? Or throw our teddy out the pram? Is that what we do? Or do we immediately and instinctively seek the Lord? Do we get our Christian friends praying? Do we seek the Lord's wisdom and guidance? Because that's what Daniel did. He was a real man of faith. He knew that there was only one person who could help him, and that is the God of the universe. Corey Ten Boom once said, Is Jesus your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is Jesus your steering wheel or your spare tire? Faith in Christ is not just something that we reach for when the chips are down. It's something that we nurture day by day, week by week, year by year, through an ongoing relationship with Jesus. Daniel spent his whole life preparing for this moment by exercising his faith on a daily basis. If we don't exercise our faith daily, when we really need it, when we really need it, we'll find it atrophied and weak and not fit for purpose. We need to connect with God on a daily basis. And the Lord answered the prayers of Daniel and his three friends. Verse 19 says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So look how Daniel responds. He doesn't say, great, I've done it. I've worked it out. I've saved the day. No, he says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. I once heard a story from an officer in the British Army. I'm, uh, I'm good friends with his brother. And he was serving in Iraq, and he had to take a vehicle convoy through uh, a very uh, dangerous and volatile area. Um, his men humorously referred to this mission as Operation Certain Death. And if you've ever seen Blackadder go forth, that will make uh, more sense. But it's an amazing story. Uh, God's hand was clearly upon them. And to cut the story short, they made it through unscathed. And uh, the officer, Mark, uh, who was and is a Christian, he went, yes, we did it. And one of his men immediately said, big Fijian guy went, no, God did it. One way or another, life is going to throw some very tough situations our way. 
some tall orders, things that we can't possibly deal with on our own. But you know, we're not meant to deal with things on our own. We've been created to live and work in partnership with God, to rely not on our own strength and intellect, but on God's power and wisdom. Daniel knew this, and he interpreted the king's dream because God enabled him to do so. Now, we didn't read the whole chapter this morning, but in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw this huge statue. We've got a a slide which kind of gives you an idea uh, what this looked like, or may have looked like. So this statue, it had a head of gold, and that represented uh, the Babylonian Empire. Uh, Its chest and arms were of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet a mixture of iron and clay. And then this huge rock comes hurtling down and smashes the feet, the uh, statue topples over and disintegrates. The interpretation of this dream is that each part of the statue represented one of four successive kingdoms, so four kingdoms that come one after the other. And the rock is the kingdom that God sets up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, that will supersede and obliterate all earthly kingdoms. There's a lot of uh, speculation about which kingdoms are represented uh, in this dream. I think it's most likely to be Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece, and that fits in with, with world history. But to be honest, that's not so important. The point is that God is setting up an eternal kingdom, to replace all earthly principalities and powers. And that kingdom has, of course, already been established by Jesus, and it will be fully established, completely established, when Jesus returns. Uh, But this dream, this interpretation, is a really hard message for the king to hear. Uh, His kingdom will come to an end. It will be replaced uh, by earthly kingdoms, yes, but ultimately by God's kingdom. His power is not total. And any power that he does have comes from God. In verse 37, Daniel says, Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. God has given it, and God can take it away. That's a terrifying prospect for someone like Nebuchadnezzar. Moreover, all the wisdom and power of His empire are a pathetic copy of God's true wisdom and power. And that is the case for all earthly kingdoms and nations and governments. Finally, the king's self-reliance is an illusion. He does, in fact, need the king of heaven. Surprisingly, on hearing Daniel's interpretation of the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar prostrates himself in front of Daniel, literally lies flat on his face in front of Daniel, like almost like a uh, sort of stance of worship. And he says, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Able to reveal this mystery. And Daniel and his friends uh, were promoted. And they were given high positions within the Babylonian Empire. Now, uh, obviously, I'm not a Babylonian king. I'm not a Babylonian king's wise man. uh, And neither are you. Uh, Sorry to break it to you. Uh, But 
But the truths revealed in this passage are entirely relevant to all of us. And they are these. Firstly, all the kingdoms of this world will come to an end, including the little kingdoms that we try to build around ourselves, the little materialistic kingdoms. It'll all come to an end. The only kingdom that actually matters is Jesus' kingdom. Secondly, we are not in control. We are not self-sufficient. We're not capable of overcoming every difficulty that life throws at us. We're certainly not capable of overcoming death. That will catch up with us, all of us, at some point. But Jesus has overcome death, and he's done it on our behalf, and so we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, if you are one of those people who fears being found out, if you think that the reality of who you are doesn't measure up to who people think you are, then allow Jesus to change you, because that is the Christian life. We are constantly being changed and transformed to become more like Jesus. It's an ongoing process. It lasts our whole life. And have faith that the Lord has put you where he wants you to be. Very often uh, in life, and especially as Christians, we can find ourselves uh, in situations that are well out of our comfort zone. But we need to trust that God has put us where he wants us to be, as he did with Daniel, so that we can bring God glory, not in our own strength, but in his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that life uh, can throw some very tough situations at us. And uh, we've all got personal resources. We can do so much. We can overcome uh, a great deal, in fact. Uh, But we do have limitations and weaknesses. And we need you. We need you in our lives. Uh, We need your support and guidance. Uh, We need your love and forgiveness. And we pray, Father, that uh, we will lean not on our own strength and wisdom and understanding, but lean on you. And pray, Father, fill us with your spirit and help us to be people that, that put you first and rely on you and live in this, this uh, dependent relationship on you, which is what we've been created for. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.